Thanks for choosing this podcast by New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo, including the sermon, Keeping Your Feet Under You. God bless you today.
Uh, we will have backpacks of school supplies. Um, still have the opportunity to donate to school supplies to add to that if you want, but we have backpacks of school supplies. This is like a basic four or five items in your backpack. And I'm thinking they still need to be stuffed, don't they? The stuff has to go. We have the stuff and we have the backpacks, and so if you want to stuff backpacks, we one still day have to street, purchase the rest of the stuff because it didn't show up. Oh, so we bought stuff online and it didn't show up. So it's semi purchased, okay? So thank goodness for supply line difficulties. Where would we be? Jesus never has any difficulty supplying us, okay? And so we'll get that done, and Saturday is going to be a fun time sharing more with anybody that comes. And we'll do some promotion again between now and then. And, uh, it's going to be cool. Uh, pray for good weather. Pray for souls to be saved. Pray for people to serve. It is better to give than receive. So you come and you give of your time and your resources and so on. And then, um, one more thing. Okay, don't forget today, uh, the God's Kids, those of you who are in the school age, uh, God's Kids, that if they, if they made their goal, they had to memorize the verse and get and earn 20 points on their point system, but if they made their goals, going putt-putting after service with Aaron and fellow uh, chaperones. Aaron, are you going to be able to putt-putt with your hand wrapped up like that? Okay, Aaron is not going to deal with his hand wrapped. Aaron burnt himself to work. Pray for that for healing. Right? That works? If not in your own kitchen, I hope. Alright. And then, um, also today, uh, after service, briefly, a meeting with Brother Josh for the arts and crafts team was scheduled. Brother Josh is back here, sorry. And so if you'd like to stay and hear what the Arts and Crafts team is up to and give some input as to what we can do going forward, then please go to that meeting, uh, which will be after service today. And those are the things that are pertinent to the email. The rest of it is in your bulletin. And, but we're really here to serve, pray, to witness to one another, to worship God, the God of heaven, to reach the heights of Jesus as we go to his word and as we live for him again today. Okay, that's what it's really all about. And so, we're going to pray together now and kind of just plow forward and let the, let the Lord work in us. That's not like a good plan. Let's do that. Remember, as I pray, you are praying as well. If I pray something that you don't want to pray, then you pray something different in your head or even out loud as your seat and give God the glory and, and, and seek Him out. Okay? But we're praying together. It's not me praying for you. This is us praying together. Here we go. Father in heaven, you're an awesome God. You've done amazing. Our minds swim sometimes at how blessed and how careful we are. Yet at the same time, we do face trials and we do face temptations and we do face uh, distractions and we do wander and we do turn from the, the narrow path. Uh, Lord, we confess our need to you to ask you now to, to redeem us, to hold us together, to make us firm, to lead us forward, to reach new heights in Jesus. Forgive us where we failed you in Jesus' name. And we know that in Jesus' name, that forgiveness is available. Thank you for letting us be here. Thank you for letting us care about one another. Lord, thank you for letting us worship this way. We praise you for instruments and chairs and the building and, and believers who do believe and, and workers who work and worshipers who worship. And it goes on. You are awesome. We have so many things to thank you for. We're asking now, Lord, to take over this service and lead it and guide it. We have a plan. <laughs> but somebody said, I think, you know, uh, you want to make God laugh, make a plan. That just came up again this week. And so, Lord, we, we ask you to lead the guy. We ask you to handle every note and every voice and every heart and every thing that goes on in this room for the next 
however long we're here, we turn it over to you. It's not our service. We're serving you. And Lord, as we serve you, we know you deserve a lot more than we can do. We worship you today, Lord. We declare your work. And we ask you, Lord, to take over and make it possible. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, stand up and join us. We're going to go back in time a little bit. Back in time. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I sold it. Oh. I must be old. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs>
high flying. I haven't done that in a while. All right, so we come to that moment in time where we ask ourselves, how has the Lord been speaking to you this week? Listen, we, we have been talking about meditation. And so by now, if it hasn't sparked your interest, I hope you have meditated on the Word at some point in time. We've talked about, we've done a few meditations together, right? Even done a few together. And so you get the basic gist of how to do it. Take any verse, any passage, any paragraph, any pericope, which is the word I didn't even know until somebody taught me what it meant, but it means like a little section of Scripture. Any of that. And you do that, you can get something meaningful from God. So what have you seen this week? Go ahead, Jason. Um, one of my friends from a... Um, Little husband had um, surgery on his knee, okay. and he and his and she had a wheel, she has a wheelchair, but it's broke, and she's been having some tough times on with um her. She's been using that wheelchair for a while because her she's. So when her wheelchair broke, she switched over to her car, and she's um. My friend's name is Close, and I want to play for his grandparents. His grandparents. You can do that, Carson. You know, if God gives us Carson. Colton. Colton. Okay, Colton. And uh, God gives us a heart of compassion. We see people suffering. I hope you care. I hope you take the moment. You gotta, sometimes you got to stop with all the business and care about what's going on around you. We've heard that recently, and that's pretty cool. All right? What else? Any the word this week? You see something that you go, hmm? I'll share one with you. Maybe it'll jog your memory about something you were thinking about. Ariana and I, um, I want to say Thursday night. She's correct if I can say she knows what night it was, but. We played a game. We bought this game. Uh, I bought it at uh, Chicksawana Flea Market. You may know what that is. Flea Market over in Indiana. Basically, it's an Amish country, but they have this huge, vast, gravel-covered flea market. And um, we're going table to table to table. And we went to this one section, and the first table I walked into, there was this game sitting there. And uh, I bought it for like two bucks. And I thought, you know, because this guy's selling the game for two bucks, it's probably not going to be much. We'll try it once. and. We'll see, you know, whether we'll ever play it again. And um, then Thursday night we broke that game on. We played it, and here's what happened: we play this game. It's it's variable, so it's depending on like you could play this with a with a preschooler very easily. School age kids, youth, adults, whatever, because you you select your level of hardness. And it's questions about camping, basically, what it's about fun, facts about animals, things like that. They're playing this game and they come with this little insert on there, and uh, it says you can click this QR code to go see a demo of the game. And I thought, well, that'll be cool because then we would see somebody else playing it, we'll see how it's supposed to go. And I clicked it, and the QR code doesn't work anymore. But it took me to the catalog, and the game is for sale online right now for twenty-five bucks. And I said to Ariana, I said, you know, she said we could buy another copy of this game in case we're missing any parts. I said. I don't think so. Twenty-five bucks. We're not buying a. You know, let's see if it's all here. Or and it was. It was all it was brand new. Stole the shrimp wrap, everything like that. Not the box, but everything inside it. We're playing the game, and this is what the Lord said to me. This is how it often goes with Jesus Christ. We think, you know, hey, maybe there's something to that. And then you go and you buy in. You start to listen to the sermons. You read your Bible. You pray and whatever. And you start thinking, hey, this is okay. This is cool. But because it didn't really cost you nothing, because he didn't really, 
it was a bargain, right? You didn't really spend a lot up front, even though people are like, it took a lot for me to walk up front and tell people I believe in Jesus, or it took a lot for me to tell my friends I believe in Jesus, or I had to overcome my fear, or whatever. But the truth is, you didn't die on the cross, and your salvation didn't cost you a million bucks, even though it's it worth way more than that, worth every penny of money that we would ever touch in our entire life, right? You didn't give up all your relationships, although it's worth all that, right? It would be worth giving up all of our relationships to be saved by Jesus. You didn't, you know, fight blood, sweat, and tears your whole life to be saved. You just kind of went and listened and went, yeah, I, I get it. I believe that. That's really all it cost you is believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Easy. So then you go, well, you know, maybe if Jesus doesn't solve all my problems, or maybe if Jesus doesn't take care of everything for me, I'll just buy a new version. I'll just buy a new one. I'll, I'll, put my, I'll have to spend all my money or all my relationships but I can just put a little bit of money or a little time or a little effort into some other kind of Jesus, some other kind of belief in God, some other way that people say it works, or some false religion altogether, right? That doesn't have anything to do with God. And then you're living that way. Meanwhile, God gave you cheaply, at least for our expense anyway, it was very expensive for him, but for us, he gave you cheaply the thing you wanted, the thing you needed, the game, the battle, the, the kingdom advance, everything was all there for you. But because you didn't pay enough for it, you were ready to dismiss it and go and maybe try something else. Believe me, if you look into world religions, if you study world religions, you will find that they all place very heavy demands on the believer. Very heavy demands. Think Christianity places heavy demands? The truth is... There are some heavy demands, right? There are some, we are obligated to God to follow him, to do what he wants us to do, and so on, right? So there are some heavy demands. But, that's no different than anywhere else. What is different than anywhere else is that Jesus is with you through thick and thin. He doesn't ask you to do what he asks you to do without being with you, without providing for you, without taking care of you, without teaching you how to do it, and so on. Don't trade the bargain salvation that you got for something you think is worth more because it costs you more. Pretty cool game. If you ever want to borrow it or come to my house and play it, if you're happy to. By the way, we played this game, so most, most of you probably have played a board game or a card game. This game takes literally 10 minutes to play. And was very fun. We, we, want, we want playing it five times. In all fairness, Ariana beat me every single time. <laughs> so, and you know, it's playable by any age group. She beat me every single time we played the game. But the fact is, we had a lot of fun doing it. It doesn't, another thing, it doesn't take this huge, massive, grandiose affair investing in God. Take the little steps. Do the little things that God would have you to do. And watch how God blesses you. Okay? Alright, now, you've had a chance to think. If not, we're going to pray and move on. Do you have a word you'd like to share? Going once, hard. Yesterday, me and Aaron went out to Powers and we were shooting. And I, I'm not like an excellent shot, but I'm, I'm good at it. It's something I've done a lot. And I was, Aaron made a comment and it kind of made me giggle because I shot started after he did. And it was a lot better group. And he said that we're not even making it look bad. And on the way home, we were talking about it, and I was explaining to him a little bit of how we can improve and stuff you can do. And late last night, when I was laying in bed, I was thinking about it, and I'm like, the biggest thing I can remember is 
it's the fundamentals. You have to get fundamentals down. You have to know how to stand. You have to know how to hold it. And I was like, so if you get the fundamental down, then you can start working the, the littler stuff so you can get better. And when I was laying down last night, that, kept, that came back up again. I'm like, you know, if we can put that with Christ, if we can get the basic fundamentals with Christ down and learn how to build off the basic fundamentals of what Christ teaches us, then we can work on the bigger, bigger picture. It's kind of like what you just said. You have to start with the basics. You have to start small. You can't just jump right in and expect to do something extravagant. Because it's not going to work that way. And it's it's like swimming, for example, another thing. You can't just jump in a pool and expect to automatically know how to swim. And you have, you have to work it. You have to know the basics. You have to know the fundamentals. And our walk with Christ, if we, if we build off those basic fundamentals that God teaches us, then we, like what you just said, we can see the bigger picture, we can see the bigger blessings that God will give us, and we can work on those, but we have to remember what the basics are. We can never forget the basics. Good word. Good word. It's amazing how one, one discipline, one thing that you're doing, and it can be lifting weights, and diet, it can be shooting, it can be working on a car, whatever, all, all of those things, God can speak to whatever you're doing. And show examples, and it, it always relates to His Word. Always, you can find it in His Word if you're listening to God and not man. All right. Okay. So we're gonna go ahead. And, all right. Go. I just want to say one thing to kind of build off of what both of you said. Um, I don't like to do that because I don't want anybody to get offended that I'm, I'm thinking a certain way that they're not. But both of what you guys said reminded me of what Jesus said in the Gospels. He said, "If you can." understand this one parable you can understand everything else and that was the parable about the sowing of the seed and uh we just i think we need to take that into consideration that our mind and our heart literally is just like a field because jesus told nicodemus too he said if i told you about physical things earthly things and you don't believe right how are you going to believe if i tell you about spiritual things right because inside us, it's just like how it is out here on this earth. If we plant seeds in our minds and our souls of the Word of God, and we nurture them and let them grow, then life is going to spring up and in the forms of like revelations and visions and outpourings of the Holy Spirit that are going to transform us and totally make us fit for the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. That's a very good word. And that did not offend me one bit, brother. That was awesome. Thank you so much. All right, so we're going to pray together at this time, and then we'll take a thousand offerings, a little more worship, and then go to the Word, okay? I'm going to ask Brother Ron Mack, our Christian Games leader, would you kindly uh, lead us in prayer at this time, and we're praying with him. So don't be distracted. Here we go. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to be yes, here sir. today, be with our Christian brothers and sisters, to have right fellowship with them and with you. Lord, I pray for the rest of the service. I pray for the tithes and offerings that will be given, that they will be given with a joyful heart, that you will use them for uh, the purpose of furthering your kingdom. God, help us and guide us to show us and, and so that we can know what it is your plan is and we can uh, bring, a part, bring about your plan on this earth. Lord, please uh, be with us the rest of the service. Be with Pastor Dan as he brings a sermon. Pray you help speak with boldness and conviction. Lord, 
bless the music, help us lead everybody in, in uh, worship of you. I pray, Lord, that it will sound pleasant to your ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As the pray team is coming forward, I just want to just mention this to you so you can be aware. Uh, part, we give part of our time offering for our church as the proper program. We have a team, a huge team, in fact, in Louisiana. You've heard about the hurricanes. We have a team in Louisiana that began two days ago, and they will prepare 10,000 meals every day. And then they're partnering with our Salvation Army, and they will distribute those meals all throughout the hurricane-affected area. So that is made possible by cooperative program giving, which our church is a part of. We also have teams from Ohio that are going down there. So continue to pray for, pray for those that are in Louisiana and for the teams that are going down. Always a lot of salvation, and uh, obviously there's a lot of people in need of hope down there right now. So praise God.
2,000 years later, Hannah has been teaching us from uh, her song uh, out of 1 Samuel, and today we will conclude that series. Um, and so we're going to pray briefly because while we have, uh, we're going to get a just a very, very short snippet summary, and I know about half of, of the children's workers will know the first sermon, about half will know the second, but you've got to kind of plug it all together to get where I think she's going today, and I hope we'll get to the same place. We don't, we always want to try to learn in context, learn the, what the writer was thinking, and to, the, to people to whom the writer was writing what they were thinking, and so we'll try to do that. And so pray with me if you would. Father in heaven, as we turn to your word, please add the blessings upon the reading. Please call us away from self and sin and selfish nature, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, out of trials and tribulations, temptations and distractions, to learn from you our source through your word, which you've blessed us with. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So two weeks ago, from the beginning of Hannah's song, uh, the first couple verses, we realized that there was joy of the Lord, strength of the Lord, and a big mouth. And that is the natural results of having been saved by the Lord. And we encouraged ourselves out of that text um, to use our joy of the Lord, strength of the Lord, and our big mouth uh, to honor God. We also said to be very, very careful because the world does play games with this and attempts to uh, mimic, if you will, the work of God. And so you have the joy of the Lord. If you have joy without the strength of the Lord or without the big mouth, or sometimes you might even still have the big mouth, uh, just not a godly big mouth, you wind up with happiness and the world wants you to be happy or wants you to want to be happy anyway because that way they can drive you after things, right? Try to get you to go after what it is they say will make you happy. And so we caution ourselves in that. It is not happiness, but joy of the Lord. We talked about strength and how boldness of all kinds does come out of people and people do things. Uh, people step up, go places, uh, get promoted, uh, make huge investments, uh, work hard, etc. But it must be the strength of the Lord. And then the strength of the Lord without the joy that God provides will not last. It will not stand the test of time and it will fall apart. We'll even see that again explained in the verses that we're about to read today. Okay. And then, uh, so you need essentially to keep them together. We talked about how the joy of the strength of the Lord of the joy of the Lord, strength of the Lord, and the big mouth will yield a song and how that song cannot be held back even by oppression, even by your own sorrow, even by depression, which is a very real thing. And nothing will hold back that song that if we do not enact that song, if we do not lift up our voices to speak of God, that the very stones themselves will cry out in honor to the Lord. So it wasn't meant for the stones or the cartoons, as the song goes, to praise God the way we can, and so we should. Joy, strength, and a big mouth. Also, and we looked at this last week, we are not to be using that joy, strength, and a big mouth with an ingredient of pride or arrogance. And very simply put, pride or arrogance, are the, pride is that moment at which you feel okay or good about yourself because of the way things have unfolded or what you've accomplished or whatever, and you begin to feel okay outside of God, where arrogance is that moment in which you, you feel like you put yourself forward or you put some way forward uh, outside of God. And 
how we are to be using our joy, strength, and a big mouth with a primary topic of God, our Father. And he is uh, known to us. If you are saved, he is known to you. And that is your primary topic. And so we encouraged ourselves to turn every discussion to God and what God would think on the topic and stop expressing your opinions without godly input. And uh, I will tell you that that has come up in my thinking over and over again uh, this last week, and I've tried to do it, and, and I'm finding that I am not as prepared to do it as I should be, considering I am not a brand new Christian. I think what has happened over the years is that we have found a lot of topics to talk about. We talk about those things, and we're okay because we're saved, and the topic is not sin, per se. But the truth is, the topic should be invaded by God. And anything less than that is a sort of pride and arrogance and will even come to control you eventually if you're not careful. And then now, an introduction, if you will, to what uh, Hannah is saying. You already know we're in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we're going to do verses 9 and 10, the last two verses of her song. Okay, here we go. It says, talking about God, remember, so that she's begun talking about God. He keeps the feet of his godly ones. So the phrase here, keeps the feet, is similar to putting a hedge around. It's, it's actually a Hebrew colloquialism to put a hedge around. Um, and I was thinking, I said, God, give me a picture of what you're talking about. And Amalia will resonate with this, and some of the football players in the room will resonate with this. Um, we uh, have been at a number of football games. Amalia was a cheerleader. And, uh, most of our kids, come on in, come on in, come on in. Yeah, find a seat. You're good. Don't matter what time you show up, brother. You're here now. All right, we're good together. Okay, so anyway, uh, the cheerleaders do stunts. They call them stunts, right? Am I getting that right? They do stunts, okay? And uh, the flyers of the cheerleaders will get thrown or stood up in the air. And so I'll ask this as a question. When a flyer goes up in the air to stand, so they're, they're head above everybody else, um, what parts of their body do the other cheerleaders hold on to? Okay, so in, in, in Jewish anatomy, the ankle and the foot are the same, right? So they hold on their feet, right? And what's interesting, you, you, if you've ever seen this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They throw them up in the air, and they get up there, and then they hold their feet. They don't push their butt up. They're not touching the back of their knee, right, to keep it straight. They have to keep themselves straight, and then they throw them up, and they hold their feet. And what they've done there is they've kept their feet per this text. And so she says, God does that for the God, for his godly ones. Those who choose to go the way that God would want them to go, and we'll break that down a little bit better later, God keeps their feet. Now, if you are not physically capable of standing up on your own, then when you, if you are thrown up in the air and God keeps your feet, that is not going to be very good because your feet are going to be held and then you're going to fall over at the knees or fall over at the core and bend and topple and Maybe hurt somebody on the way down, hurt yourself and, uh, on that hard pavement, whatever. Right? But God keeps the feet of his godly ones, according to Hannah. Next, it says, the wicked ones. It says, but the wicked ones. Notice that word, but there. It's in contrast. So the godly ones get their feet kept. But the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. Okay? So the wicked ones. Wickedness in the Bible is an interesting concept. Okay, we want to say that wicked is whenever they do something wrong. Okay, remember, maybe you remember uh, the Wizard of Oz. Remember, show the Wizard of Oz. 
and used to play every year at Halloween, and newer versions often still do, and sometimes even the older version does on TV. You have uh, broadcast TV around Halloween, okay? And there was a wicked witch in the story, okay? And we say, well, when I'm growing up, I think wicked just means bad. She's the bad witch. There's the good witch, and there's the bad witch. But that is too simplistic of a definition of wicked, okay? Wicked does not mean bad. In fact, in, check me, but in modern slang, wicked actually means good, right? Oh, that's wicked, right? Wicked means bad after being corrected or bad after seeing the difference, knowing, right? It's a choice to continue in a choice of action. And so here, what she is saying, the wicked ones, those who could choose to continue to go in the, the direction that God would have them not go in, right? Once they know something, once they begin to figure it out, once they have a hint or an inkling or a stopping point, the wicked ones that continue on in that course of action are silenced in darkness. Let's take the darkness first. Darkness in the Bible most often is ignorance. Most of the time you see darkness is a picture of ignorance. Okay, But this word here used for darkness is something a little different. It means obscurity, or you could say, get this, lostness, right? Wandering outside the realm of control. So darkness and ignorance, sort of, but more like outside safety, obscurity, mm, worthlessness, right? And then, now let's back up to a second where it says they will be silenced, this word here, silence, is maybe, and, and, other, and other translations don't necessarily say silence, maybe that's not even the best translation as we would understand it. I'll give you an example. Uh, we were playing hide-and-seek. It's happened to me a few times, in fact, at our house, and I was playing hide-and-seek outside. We call it night ball tag because the, the main person has a ball and try to hit the person that's hiding, and I, and I hid. And I was hiding, and I hid in a way so there's a light on the house across the street and there's a tree and it casts a shadow in the opposite direction of the light. So I could have hid behind the tree. And if you're behind the tree, you can't be seen, right? Big tree, stand behind the tree, can't be seen. But I also know the way the human eye works. So I actually hid in front of the tree. So in plain view, in the shadows, okay? By the way, if you're a hide and seek player, listen right now because I'm giving you how to win this game, Okay. So I hid, I, I sat in plain view in front of the tree with the bright light on the other side. So if you look across the road at that tree, I'm sitting in plain view, but you can't see me because when you look in that direction, your eye sees the light and the tree, but the silhouette covers me. So I'm sitting in front of this tree and the game basically ends. People were walking around looking for me and it was me and a, one or two other people that they just couldn't find. And they're like, okay, that's fine. We give up, whatever. And we're end the game, start again. And as this game is ending, the person had just checked this big pine tree that was nearby, and then they walk over, and they're literally walking past me, like within five feet, okay? But if they look toward me, they can't see me because there's a bright light behind me, and the tree shadow's blocking me. So they're literally walking by me five feet, and they go, okay, that's it, it's over, and everybody's yelling, it's over. And I stood up, and I'm like, by the time I stood up, I jumped up, and I'm like two feet away from them. And they went, ah, what? Where were you? Right? That's silenced in this verse. It's not silenced. It's 
flabbergasted, amazed, taken aback, flat-footed. Now what do I do? And so what Hannah has realized is that the wicked ones, those who are plowing forward in their path, doing what they kind of know they shouldn't do, they will be taken aback, flat-footed, or silenced in obscurity. Now listen, would anyone die in lostness if they had the choice? Would anyone die outside health, Life, love, happiness, away from all that is good in the universe? No, no one would do that. But these people are taken aback. They're caught unawares, to use another term. While they think it's good, I saw somebody posted a post on Facebook, I think it was late last night, and they said, one day you're going to go to bed thinking it's just a normal night. Or you're going to wake up and start your day thinking you're going to do all the things you normally do in a normal day. And just a few seconds later, Jesus is going to come again. And all that you had planned and everything you thought you were going to do that day or that night is going to not happen. All your plans are going to be shot. And that's the way it's going to be with the wicked. But the difference between the wicked and us is as soon as it happens, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, as soon as it happens and you go, you're going to be with Jesus, you're going, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. Yes. It's not, it's not, oh, uh, what? It's yes. Now you just chose the, the right door on let's make a deal. But for those who were plowing forward wickedly and all their plans and everything stolen from them, suddenly they're going to go, oh no, what happened? That's what it's like. Verse 10. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. So those is those people. So these are the people who resist or who struggle with God. They, they don't necessarily agree. And the word here, contend, is like to wrestle or to strive, right? Those who strive or wrestle with the Lord will be shattered. And you guessed it, the word here shattered means dismayed, broken, amazed, and, wait for it, discouraged, struggling, trying to figure things out. Now this is not just talking about the end, right? That we know, because we talked about this a few weeks ago in our sermon about where we talked about the punishment, is already, God is already preserving people in the punishment, or by the punishment, through the punishment, etc. That these people are like that already. So when you see discouragement, one major source of discouragement is the fact that a person is contending with God. You say, well, I'm a follower of Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, i got all the blessings of the kingdom and God loves me and so on. We're going to get to why that doesn't work that way, but let me tell you to preface it right now that it's not that simple. If you are contending with God, even as a believer, there is discouragement for you. And it's a struggle. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Which, And again, that word there means dismayed, broken. Amazed, discouraged. It says, against them, he will thunder in the heavens. And this sounds bad when you first read about it. Right? It's like, oh my goodness, that sounds terrible. God's going to thunder. He's got all this power, right? God's going to thunder against them. That sounds bad. And against them, clearly, it's talking about opposition, like wrath, right? But actually, this is a blessing. This is God's grace shown. Because in this lifetime, if you are opposing God, God will speak up. God will show you something. God will give you a hint. He will give you a clue. He will direct you. He will guide you. He will lead you to sit under a sermon. He will lead you to read a Bible study. He'll lead you to see a verse on social media. He will lead you to read your Bible and hear from him or whatever. God will speak up. He is not silent. Even as his destruction or currently his wrath and punishment comes against people who are contending with him, he thunders to let people know this is not right. Almost done with the text. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. The Lord there is the creator God. He is the ultimate in power. Uh, he is the I am God. He was before anything was, and he decided what was. 
And then because he did that, he will judge the whole earth. Now this word here that's judge is different than what you see a lot of times in the Bible. So it really stood out in my mind. It means to contend with. So God, God is going to go to fight against wickedness. Now he's going to win the fight, right? Because God doesn't lose fights. But he's going to go to fight against wickedness. They are those who will contend against him and then he will contend against the wickedness and judge them because they've chosen to do that. It does mean judge. It also means govern. He will rule over those who stand against him just the same as he rules over those who stand for him. And the last one, and I'll just tell you what it means and then we'll come back to it, is he will plead. It means will plead as if to say, no, please, I love you. Don't do this. And it's all wrapped up in the statement, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And then it says, and he will give strength to his king. This verse is particularly odd. Does anybody know why? All right, Bible scholars, put your thinking caps on. Not rhetorical. Let's do a little Bible trivia here. Why is it so odd that Hannah would say that God will give strength to the king of his people? Come on, Bible scholars. Anybody that doesn't get the answer or even have an inkling toward it should study their Bible this week. Go ahead. That's right. They don't have a king yet. Is that what you're going to say? They don't have a king. She doesn't have a king. There's no king of God's people. Very good. So it's powerfully important here This is to show us that this, med- this message is both current and prophetic. In fact, there are scholars who wrongly think, and I'm, I'm showing my colors in this, in this, all right? There are scholars who wrongly think that this text was edited or added later because Hannah would not say strength to the king. Okay, because you didn't have a king. God's people don't have a king. But they wrongly think because all the way back in Deuteronomy, Moses talked about a king. All the way through, all along, they've been talking about that they would eventually call out for a king. So she knows that God's people call out for a king, right? So that she knows God's people will have a king. In fact, in her day, the people were surely already hoping for a king because they saw all the other nations had kings and because that adds lasting uh, stability to a kingdom when somebody when you have a king when you have a kingdom right but it says and he will give strength to his king and this this is interesting when he says strength here because the strength that is given here is not the same as the strength that was earlier on in verse 9 where we read which we read last week where it says for by might I'm sorry, no, I read it earlier and I skipped this part. For by might shall a man not prevail, or for not by might shall a man prevail, right? Not by might shall a man prevail. That might there is a different kind of strength. The word there is firmness or vigor. You can say health, strength, the capacity to produce something. So your ability, if you would, in modern language. And now we get the word strength and it is a this is a generic word strength that's used in all kinds of applications. It means it can mean majesty or boldness. Okay? And so she would say that he she God, sorry, will add strength to his king. And it's all kinds of majesty, holiness, goodness to his king. Even though they don't yet have a king. And then the last part it says and will exalt, you know what that means, will lift up the horn of his anointed. The horn is the strength. Again, but it's this symbolic, figurative language for strength. What's so significant about the phrase, his anointed? 
Also, let's, let's do it together. Somebody tell me, what, what if, you, if I said his anointed, who would you say that is? Okay, more than that, a little bit more than that. Yes, it's pointing to the Messiah. You know why this text is so significant? This is it. This is the very first time that the word Messiah, which would be in the Greek, but the original word that's translated Messiah into the Greek and then into the English is used in the Bible. Nowhere before this has anyone prophesied straight up the existence of an anointed one of God to whom, get this, God will add all strength, all ability, all power, right? Okay, now we've looked at it. As I was reading this, I wanted to make this sermon about the wrath of God. And I'm going to tell you what I came up with briefly. I noticed that as Hannah was talking about the wrath of God, she talked about whom it threatens. Who was that? The wicked. Those who go against God, those who contend with God, those who wrestle. That's whom the wrath of God, who the wrath of God threatens. Also, talking about the wrath of God in here, God makes its approach known with warning signs. God says, listen to me. I am trying to tell you something. And that's the thunder that rolls in the heavens. How many times in Scripture is there thunder that rolls? And even not followers of God. There's a battle with the Philistines and the thunder rolled mightily in the sky out of nowhere. There was no storm. And all of a sudden, boom, the thunder went off. And the Philistines routed because they knew that God was on the other side of the battle. The wrath of God, its approach is covered in warning signs. God makes it known. And so when you are not doing what God would have you to do, when you are opposing God and you're not doing right, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should well know that already by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But beyond that, God makes it known that you are approaching the opposition of God. God does not oppose you because He doesn't like you or because He doesn't love you. In fact, He opposes you because what you are doing is not good for you. God makes his, the, the approach of His wrath known with warning signs. And then notice that God's wrath is discharged against opposition. Those who oppose Him. You contend with God. You wrestle with God. Think, I want to do what... The, I know God doesn't want me to do that, but I kind of want to do that anyway. Or you don't know that for sure that God doesn't want you to. You start to go that way and God gives you an inkling, a friend, a, a verse, something pops up. You say, like, okay, maybe... Maybe I, I've been given pause. I at least need to pause and stop and think for a second. And then you go, no, I'm going to do it anyway. And you go on. And God's wrath, then his opposition to course is discharged against those who contend with him. And then the last part that I had come up with was that this wrath has one main purpose to promote the perfection of God's kingdom. God is Himself opposing those actions which are not godly, which don't fit in the kingdom of God. Except, guess what? That ain't it. That's not the outline. It's there. But God showed me that there were three very practical, I think they're practical, I hope they're practical, I hope you would find them practical, I hope you would put them to use. Three very practical things in there that we can see. The first one is about strength. Does anybody know, I think many of us do, how strength works in a human body? So you have a muscle in your arm or in your leg. If you don't use that muscle, what happens? 
gets smaller. It's called atrophying, right? When it gets bad, it really only atrophies completely if you get if you wounded in some way. But what actually happens is the fibers get less and less dense. The muscle same, stays the same basic size, but you're no longer using it. And so unless something detrimental happens, it'll stay the same basic size, but it won't have the capacity to constrict the way it could. Years ago, I, I wounded my knee. Right here, I wasn't at the Battle of Wounded Knee. That's another thing altogether. I just happened to be uh, playing football or something, and I wounded my knee right here. And this little muscle got a tiny little tear in it. And I didn't know it at the time. It hurt for a while, and then it went away. But I didn't know it. Well, the muscle atrophied. And by the time I went to the doctor, it was as thin as a thread. It was tiny, like, like really little, like this, because it had been torn. And if your muscle is torn and it not, does not heal properly, that's what you get. It shrinks down to next to nothing. And so my kneecap would slide out of place. And every time I'd go upstairs, run, anything, it hurt. And I had to go to physical therapy and they put electrical shock in there and wake it up, electrical shock, wake it up, wake it up. And every time I, they would have me step up on a step, which should activate that muscle, and they put electrical shock in there and it would wake it up. And over time, the muscle had little tears in it and it began to grow, build new muscle fibers. That's how it works. And so we understand that strength breeds strength. If you go out and mow, if you go out and clean, if you go out and fix cars daily, if you go out and do, if you do physical labor all the time, you will get stronger, right? If you sit at the table, literally just sit at your dining room table, do nothing else but this. Pick your hand up, put your hand out. Pick your hand up, put your hand out. If you do that a thousand times a day, your bicep and the other muscles on your arm will get stronger. You don't have to run. You don't have to lift weights. Just repetitions will make it stronger. Tiny tears develop. The tears are repaired, and then they get stronger. So we have this belief that strength plus activity equals more strength. And that is, generally speaking, how the world works. That is how God created human bodies. It's how things work. If you work and you're working your job and you work your 40 hours a week and you do well on the job, you'll have a job. Unless your company goes out of business or something else happens, whatever, you'll be fine. But if you pile in, you do a little extra. You work an extra hour or two. You do a little extra, ask for more responsibilities. You do what doesn't have to be done. You pick up the litter on the way into the building. You take the garbage out when you leave. You offer to do different things. You will be recognized soon as an important piece and they'll start taking a little better care of you. And if they don't, you should get a different job. But the bottom line is, if they're pouring in creates growth. That's what, that's what happens. That's how the world works. You can find it all over the book of Proverbs. But what this text tells us is pouring in, activating your strength in opposition to God does not result in greater strength. What it literally said was that not by might shall a man prevail. And we look at that word prevail a little closer. I didn't do it before for this very reason. In the Hebrew, it is gabor. Or maybe gabao, depending. Anyway, it means to have strength, but then to have that strength still. Right? It means to have strength, but to prevail literally means to have it still. So what the verse actually means is, not by might shall a man have might still. God is going to undercut and take... You contend with God, you face the wrath of God. With a warning, yes, but you contend with God, you will face the wrath of God. And all your strength and all your might will avail you not in the end. You will wind up in the darkness in ignominy, without an identity, 
worthless to the Lord because you contended with him throughout your life instead of accepting who he is. If you exercise your strength in a corrupt manner with morally wrong behaviors, that equals not strength. The math problem goes like this. Strength plus corruption equals not strength or does not equal strength. You will have nothing. You're strong now. We're all strong in some capacity. But Hannah realized that that strength, she did not say that strength will not avail you. She did not say that strength will not profit you. She did not say that strength will not take you somewhere or that strength will not do something. All of those things are still true. You're working, functioning within the system. Strength will do all of that. What she said is that strength will not cause you to still have strength in the end if you contend with God. The wicked ones are silenced in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Second thing that was in there that I felt like God really wanted us to see is prophetic blessings to King and Messiah point to the first hope of God's eternal plan, which is the alternative to facing God's wrath. This Messiah who would come, in Him would be the exalted the horn, the power, the strength, the might, the ability, the way for God to do what He's going to do. And we now live on the other side of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Hannah's song. God has already done it. God has already exalted the horn of the Messiah, which he did in a way that no one would expect. He put him on a cross. And then the amazing thing is that him on a cross became a stumbling block both to Jews and to Greeks. People say, oh man, that doesn't make any sense. Why would God kill the anointed one or the Messiah? I can't, I can't follow a God that would do that because they didn't understand that sins and wrath of God must be paid for. And then there were the Jews and they couldn't accept it because everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. So if he's cursed, that can't be the anointed one of God and they couldn't accept it. What happened? They were taken aback. What? Oh! And they wound up stuck there for their life and died, and I'm going to say it plainly, if they didn't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, went to hell for an eternity. This is the first mention in the Bible, prophetic for sure, of the hope that is God's plan. Get this. Hannah's song, which arises out of the joy of the Lord, the strength of the Lord, and a big mouth, which must be sung, had to include an aspect of God's plan. Hannah's song is an example of the thunder that rolls in the heavens so that people can realize they are in opposition to God's plan. In her day, they had to say, okay, I accept the way that God would make. I accept the anointed one that God would send. I accept, and we would use these terms, they would not, Jesus the Christ as Lord and Savior, as a way to go to heaven. These prophetic blessings, blessings here pronounced make it evident that they already understood that they were under wrath from God even as a chosen people of God and they had to be saved. The third thing is 
It says God will judge all. And, and I mentioned to you that that essentially means that He will contend with them, He will judge them, and especially He will plead with them. Not only is there thunder that rolls in the heavens to announce God's wrath is upon you, but on top of that, God's wrath includes Him personally entreating that person. The Bible says, No man cometh unto the Father, lest he be called. And there is only one way unto the Father, which is Jesus Christ, John 14. And so, God actively calls people unto Himself. And then they choose not to be, not to answer the call, and they do not go to heaven. They go to hell in some cases. Or they choose to, they, they're tearing with the thought of answering the call, or they've pushed past and are living in witness, wickedness, not answering the call. And that is the place of a believer to then come in, somebody who knows Christ, who knows what Jesus has done, to come in and say, Hasn't God called you? Isn't God already at work in your life? Don't you want to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as God is calling you to do? You act like we act like we're bringing up a new topic with non-believers when we don't share the gospel, don't go there fairly readily, don't teach about God. Remember the topic of the joy of the Lord, strength of the Lord, the big mouth? The primary, if anything, the only topic that really matters is God. You just have to go and say, I know God. And if they are already on the edge, if God's already calling them, they already have the nagging question. And you have come not to ask the question, but to answer the question. Because God points to the anointed one. As they live in wickedness, His wrath produces the momentum of the kingdom of God in their life. I was at Tony Paco's. I had a, had a mission guy. He was actually a youth pastor from uh, Mississippi, Alabama. I don't remember. And he brought two teenagers with him. They're 14, 15 years old. Maybe, maybe one was 16, I think. One was 14, something like that. And we went to Tony Paco's for lunch, and they were busy. And so we sat in the bar area. Not at the bar, but in the tables in the bar area. And the, bar, the waitress became, the bartender became our waitress. And she came over to our table and while we were there, I said, we're going to pray for you with our meal. Is there anything to pray for you about? And she said, she gave me something to pray for her about. Um, but it was, it was one of those kind of generic things. Just pray for peace for me. You know, it's kind of a generic things, right? And uh, a little bit later in the meal, I asked her, I said, you know, can I ask you a question? And she said, sure. And I said, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And I listened to her while she told me what her spiritual beliefs was. And right now I couldn't even tell you what they are. So I guess I didn't listen all that well. And then I said, well, do you know what the Bible says about that? And I shared the gospel out of John chapter 3. You know John chapter 3? That's your homework now. You know through John 3.16, but now you have to read the entire chapter. All right? So John chapter 3, okay? And, and she said, you know, I kind of feel like something happened that I got a fresh start. And she began to explain to us how she'd been in a car accident, coming out of the car accident, she had realized that she had been very close to death and she had started to try to find out the meaning of life. And she was searching it out and she was starting to think about God, but then she didn't know, know anything. She, this, her literal words were, I was trying to think about God, but I actually don't know anything about God. <laughs> and then she went on to say, so tell me about what you're talking about. And so I explained John chapter 3 being born again and she prayed standing in the middle of, of Tony Paco's and we all cried and it was very exciting and she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior by her profession. But the point is, she could honestly say beyond a shadow of a doubt, yes, God has already been working in me, bringing me to himself. 
RJ and I went for coffee one night. He was going through a difficult time, and I, we were going to talk out some issues he was having. And we went for coffee down at, um, still there today, uh, Coney Island on Wales and Oregon. Wales and Oregon, yeah, across from the gas station. And uh, they have a pretty broad menu, and we just basically, I, he had, I had hot chocolate, he had coffee, and, and maybe cost like four bucks, five bucks, something like that. And we talked, and when they were getting ready to close, at that time they closed at 11, I think. And we were there at like 10, and they were getting ready to close. And so we were talking, and this, she comes to the table, and I start talking to her about God. And, and her name was Kendra, which is ironic, because I have had the blessing of being present at three different young ladies named Kendra who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior when I was there. And there's a, a character that my wife plays in one of the games we play named Kendra. So it's kind of ironic. It's a joke in our family that we've seen more people named Kendra come to Christ than any other name. But anyway, so her name's Kendra, and we're sharing the gospel with her and ask her to, to pray to be born again, to ask God to make her new. And she said she would, but then she left the table. She had, she had to go do something, and she was stopped back at the table. Then it got the time they were closed, so we, RJ and I went up to pay the bill. We're standing at the counter, and she come up, and, and, I, and I said, did you, did you want to pray? And she said, yeah, I do. And she looked to her left, and her boss, who was the cook at the restaurant, was walking toward her. And mind you, now by now it's after close, like five minutes after close. And I'm thinking, oh, she's not going to get to pray or whatever. So this guy was a practicing Muslim. You know what a Muslim is? I'll tell you, it ain't a Christian. Okay, in fact, they are anti-Christianity. And uh, they believe in Jesus. They believe he was a great prophet along the order of Muhammad, but he was not the Savior. They also don't believe that he died on the cross. They, and, and there's a lot more that they don't believe. The bottom line is they are not a Christian religion. And he come up and he said, uh, oh, I love to pray. And I said, okay. So we were just getting ready to pray. Kendra was going to pray to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he said, well, I love to pray. I'll pray with you. And so we all, this Muslim guy and she and me and Arjun, we all prayed there. She accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And you know what she said right after she got saved? After she said, Jesus is in my heart, she said, you know what? This has been coming for a long time. Do you guys remember the block party on Main Street? Do you remember Danny? Anybody remember Danny? Danny was the guy who came up and, and he had a choice. I could spit in his hand or he could spit in my hand. Now, do you remember him now? Some of you do. And... So he chose for me to spit in his hand. And then right afterwards, his daughter came up and she said, Daddy, why, why would you let that man spit in your hand? Especially in the middle of a pandemic. I was, somebody told me after this, that was not very good like public eye stuff because we're in a pandemic and I'm spitting in his hand. If I had COVID, I'm giving him COVID and I could have gotten all kinds of trouble and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, and I was standing a little distance away and I heard him say, he said, I told her, he told her that, God, now mind you, he wasn't saved. He said, God is big. And I wanted her to understand that it's okay to do something for God. But he was getting saved that day. Previously, he didn't know God. I said, well, you didn't know Jesus before. You didn't know God before today, right? He said, no, but wait for it. He said, no, but God's been working on me for a long time. We have got to stop acting like when we show up and talking to somebody about Jesus, that that's the first time anybody ever talked to them about Jesus. Even if no human being had ever talked to them before about Jesus, the prophetic blessings of God are real. He is calling. He is pleading. It says he will judge all, meaning he will plead with all. They will not die without hearing the gospel. I understand it's in rudimentary forms. It may not be in English. It may be in a different language. It may be through creation as it glorifies God. And they go, you know, I think maybe there's something big here that I'm missing. Something. They have already heard. And if they have not already heard, 
hear me now, if they have not already heard, then you will be the first encounter with somebody who is supposed to plead with them to retreat, to stop contending with God, to give God his place. If you think they have not heard and therefore you are not going to talk to them about it, you are contending with God yourself. And we say, well, I don't think they want to hear it. If you say, I don't think they want to hear it, you are contending with God because either A, He has already shared it with them and He is waiting for you to do your part and do what you're supposed to do to help lead them to Him personally because you say you know Him personally, because you say He lives in you personally, because you say you know what He wants. So either A, you are contending with Him because you are not sharing because you think He has not done His part, or B, you are contending with Him because He is trying to use you to do His part. There is no C. That's it. God will plead. I recently watched the, uh, the series, and I'm coming to my conclusion, the series uh, Star Trek Picard, which they first just called it Picard, and then I think maybe it wasn't good enough, you know, like people weren't getting enough. Then they changed it about like the third episode and called it Star Trek Picard. But anyway, it's based on Star Trek, and there's a character in there who is a, a, basically like a samurai, but he comes from Romulan culture, and they practice the way of um, complete candor, which means you just tell your feelings like it is, and, and you put everything out there, right? And so you may, if you've seen it before, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, it doesn't really matter if you know, because I'm going to explain to you the important part, okay? The guy's name's Elrond, by the way. He's a master swordsman, incredible. Like, he can take on guys with blasters with a sword and win, because he's so fast. As the fight begins, Elrond says... Please, choose to live. And at one point he explains why it is that he says that at the beginning of the fight all the time. Because to go and fight against a guy like him, one of his kind, if you will, is to choose to die. To fight against God, to contend against God, to face God's wrath willingly is to choose to die. And he says, please, choose to live. Maybe you need to start interjecting a saying, something like that. Please choose to live in your conversations about where you went out to eat and your coupons and your sports and your whatever. Maybe you need to start saying, please choose to live. And they say, what are you talking about? Please choose to live. Well, I mean, please choose to live. Hear me now. Anyone who is contending with God is not choosing to live. They are choosing to be in the darkness, to come to an end to their strength and to be without, to be in obscurity and to be silenced surprised, amazed, flabbergasted, taken aback, flat-footed, the moment Jesus comes again and they go forever into hell away from God. We come to our conclusion. According to Hannah's great song, God places a hedge about the feet of those who are pulling for the kingdom of God. It's a tug-of-war of a sort you got to know which side you're on and you should be pulling every day, all time. You ask about everything that you do. You say, is this pulling for the kingdom of God? Or if it's in the middle and it's not pulling for the kingdom of God, then understand it's contending with God because you're saying you're a Christian, you're supposed to be pulling. You're supposed to be working for God. We went to Camp Yukan and there they had a tug of war which will forever go down in infamy because they used a rope that gave off these fibers and it made them itch and everything. But... Um, but this tug-of-war, our side, our boys, we're all on the underdog side. There were more people who were adult-sized on the other. They weren't adults, they were teenagers. No, no, no adults were allowed to participate, but they were teenager-sized 
as adults on the other side. And our team weighed probably 200 pounds, maybe 400 pounds, maybe 600 pounds less than the other team. And so they were definitely the underdog. And we, our biggest guy was on the back and he wrapped the rope around his stomach and he was holding on. But our biggest guy was maybe uh, Jordan size on the whole team. <laughs> and we were outnumbered. They had like two more people than us and, and whatever. And they, they balanced the team out as much as they could. They weren't going to keep swapping people around. And so they said, okay, we're going to go. We're going we're gonna to go. And they started to pull. And... The first time they started to pull, they were losing bad. I mean, just kinda, their, their feet slipped out from underneath them. They went right into the neutral area, and they lost the tug of war. Um, but it, you had to win best two out of three. And uh, they, they reset, and they got, he wrapped the rope around his waist. And, and I realized that when we lost, half of our students were on their butts on the ground. They were still pulling, but they were on their butts. And in case you didn't know this, your butt is slippery on a gym floor. Your shoes are not, right? So as you get on your butt, you're pretty much out of luck. They're just dragging you along at about half your body weight. And so I went up next to the team and I said, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, keep your feet under you. If you start to slip, if you fall down, stop pulling for a second. Jump back up. Get your feet under No matter what happens, get your feet under. Keep your feet. You're, you're worthless unless your feet are under you. And they all were listening to me, and no one else was really talking in there. It was loud, but they were, they were talking softly, but no one was talking to the team. And, and I said, keep your feet under no matter what. And, and sure enough, they did it. They were like, they started falling. They were like, I saw somebody slip, and I said, get back up, get back up now, get back up. Even though they were sliding on four, they would stop pulling for a second, get back up, and they would get back on the rope. And they, that 30 pounds that they were adding, was, which was next to nothing, they could go back and they could get like 80 or 100 pounds, a 70-pound kid pulling with all his might, getting more weight on the rope. And they kept their feet... All of them kept their feet more than 90% of the time. And amazingly, inch by inch by inch, the, re the rope, the little flag in the middle, crept across the line, and they won. And, they were, and at, just as they won, they pulled, and the other team kind of was discouraged, and they all lost their feet, and they all fell down. All, almost all of them all fell down at once. And now it's one-to-one. -one. The underdog team has won, and the obviously larger, stronger team has won. And they're over there and they're talking and they're saying, keep your feet under you, keep your feet under you, whatever. Just keep pulling, stay together, you know, work together as a team. You got to work together as a team. And they're all kind of like encouraging each other and stuff. And I thought, okay, this is going to be even harder. And, I, and they get up there and I'm, they're ready and everybody's ready and they're firm. And I said, keep your feet under you no matter what. I said, pull, keep your feet under you. Now, this time, they kept their feet under them. Like only one person fell down the whole time. They kept backpedaling or, or shifting their weight to make sure they didn't fall down at all. And I, and I didn't have to yell, keep your feet under. I just said, pull. And I said it over and over again. I yelled as loud as I could, pull, pull, pull. And they kept their feet under them. And inch by inch, centimeter by centimeter, the underdog team inched the rope across the line. It took like five minutes. You ever see a tug of war take five minutes? I thought there was like strands breaking in the rope. It's like, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And both teams had their feet under them. And both teams pulling with all their might. And I said, just pull, pull. And finally, I'm like, pull, pull. Because I'm losing my voice. And the last time I said, pull. And, and the last time I said, pull, the rope was across the line. And they pulled across the line. And the other team all lost their feet. And they all fell down. And they all kind of went back like this. And they all stood there silently for a second. And then they're jumping up and down, they're yelling, yeah, we did it, we won, we're the underdog team, we won, we won, we won. And the other team was like, 
you didn't pull enough, and you didn't, and they're all getting all nasty with each other and stuff, and you should have done harder. That's not right. That's not fair. They won. They had more people. No, they didn't have more people. They actually had two less people. They're bigger. They No, look at them. They're not bigger. Every excuse in the book for why they lost. It wasn't me. And it wasn't any kid on that team. It was, they kept their feet under them, and they pulled. And that is what we are asked to do as Christians. That is what we are asked to do in the kingdom of God. We cannot be like the wicked. You say, real quick, what the heck are you talking about? What am I supposed to do? The Bible says, 1 John 2, practice righteousness. Do what's right. The righteous will practice righteousness. What do I mean by that? The righteous will practice righteousness. Well, actually, it says in John 6.29 that the work of God is this. Believe in the one He sent. Believe in the Messiah. What did Hannah say? God will give him all strength. God will lift him up. God will exalt him in all ways. We must believe in Jesus. Why do you believe in Jesus? You believe in Jesus because when you believe in Jesus, you get righteousness. His, God's righteousness. He made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might have. No. I said it that way wrong a number of times, but if you look it up, it's not have. That we might become the righteousness of God through him. Are you becoming the righteousness of God that was gifted to you the moment you were saved? Or have you never received that gift because you have never, in fact, believed in Jesus Christ as Lord? That means He tells you what to do and you do it. And as Savior, that means He paid the price for your sins. Believe in the Messiah. That's the chief work of God. You do that every day by doing what it is that He would have you to do. By not finding things outside or neutral. Finding things that are right. Stay the course, Paul told Timothy. Do his bidding, Jeremiah told every believer that ever existed in Jeremiah 7. Do what God would have you to do. Trust in his provision, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 125. Know what he wants you. Follow his commands. He says, you are my friends, you follow my commands. And Proverbs says, oh, the writer of Proverbs, probably Solomon, says over and over again in chapter 2, in chapter 4, in chapter 4 again, in chapter 7, in chapter 12, over and over again. Just do what you know God wants you to do. It is that simple. And if you will not, and it does not mean that you have to go, okay, well, I'm going to go sin against God. I'm going to commit adultery on my wife. Or I'm going to murder my neighbor because I hate his dog. Or I'm gonna, whatever. You don't have to do anything that extreme. All you have to do is find the things of the world because he who is a friend with the world is an enemy to God. And you oppose God. And when you oppose God, the thunder rolls. And don't tell me you don't know. It does not take a Christian brother. It can happen, but it does not take a Christian brother coming to you and saying, listen, what you are doing I think is sin. You already know. And we stretch ourselves. This is what we do. We stretch ourselves. In Psalm 91, there's a great passage of Scripture. I'm not going to go there and read it for the interest of time, but it, it says that, that your, His angels will take charge of you. They will keep you from even dashing your feet against a stone. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's from the temptation. You probably actually read it there. You probably didn't even read it in Psalms the first time. During the temptation of Jesus, Satan said, leap off this temple down in the courtyard because it says this about you. Do you know why Satan, the devil, was saying that to Jesus? To get him to screw up God's plan. Did Jesus deserve all honor? Yes. Was He going to be exalted? Yes. 
But it wasn't his plan, God's plan that he jump off the temple and be seen by everybody being saved by angels. That wasn't his plan to make a grand entrance, a big splash. That wasn't God's plan. It was God's plan that he'd be crucified on the cross. But that text, hang on now, that text is not written to Jesus. It's not written to the Messiah or the Anointed One. It is written to those who follow God. Because it is a text about how God will hold your feet firmly and give you the ability to do what you're supposed to do if you will choose to follow Him. But we keep compromising. We keep falling back. We keep only going halfway. We keep adding things to our lives that are of the world and have no place or business. And that is contending with God. And as we contend with God like that, the thunder rolls. Hear me now, pandemic or no pandemic, you can never go wrong trusting in God. We say tempting the Lord. I preached a sermon. I encourage you, if you're interested in this topic, go back and listen to the podcast. It was from about four to six months ago, I think. Although my time concepts are sometime a little bit off. About how trusting God too fast is not tempting God. You trust God with all you are every day and stop playing games with His truth. If you trust in God, but use your strength for the world or for corruption, you will wind up with no strength at all. That's what the text says. Your strength will not prevail. You will not prevail. The thunder will roll. God is calling you now into His race and into His grace. God is calling you now into His grace and into His race. Now it's amazing, isn't it, that God's race is inside God's grace. God's race is inside God's grace. Do not be dismayed. Be found worthy as much as you can every day. And if you need to as motivation, remember His wrath and His opposition will come against you if you're contending with Him, then do that. But you're not supposed to be fearing God. I'm not supposed to be fearing God. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. And then one recognizes the anointed one of God who took the wrath of God for us and is free. Are you free? You're not if your feet aren't under you. You're not if you're contending with the Lord. And you're contending with the Lord if you're not sharing God's grace with your family, with your friends, with anybody you possibly can. You're contending with the Lord if you're tarrying with the world. Messing around with things that don't have anything to do with God. It does not even have to be sin. But if it becomes important to you and you cannot specifically relate it to what God is doing, then you're contending with God and the thunder rolls. Keep your feet under you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him lead you in all actions at all times. Thanks for listening, and I hope reaching new heights in Jesus today. This is Pastor Daniel Stevenson. I'm pastor of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church and also the director of the Southside Life Station. 
I encourage you to check us out online. You can check out churchtoledo.com. All aspects of the ministry are there presented. We're always looking for people to partner with us. Perhaps you'd consider praying for us uh, in this day when we are praying for those who are suffering from Hurricane Ida down in Louisiana and those in Afghanistan who are trapped sort of behind enemy lines because of the pandemic and Delta virus variant or Delta variant. Uh, we've, we've got a lot to pray for. Ask for protection in the ministry, protection for the brothers in the kingdom all over the world, and healing for the sick, and strength for doctors and nurses, and for medical personnel of all kinds, and for uh, missionaries, and for soldiers of the United States of America who serve to protect our country and our freedoms, for police, for those who fear for whatever reason, because fear is an enemy that ought to be... Uh, overcome in Christ and Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior and having us on the highway of holiness and protecting us, uh, providing for us and giving us purpose should put an end to fear. And so we pray for those who are in fear. There may be much more what you're praying for. Please go to the Your Thoughts page on the churchleto.com website and share what you're experiencing, whether it's uh, what you're praying for, what you've read in the Bible, what you're thinking about these days, what the Lord seems to be trying to get your attention. Um, the direction of your ministry, where God is taking you, what you're trying to accomplish. In the meantime, please pray that God's people will be able to have the resources that they need to continue sharing the gospel the world over. Pray in particular for the Life Station, as the Life Station is in a difficult time right now where our grant for previous days has run out and has not been renewed at the state level. And then uh, we're risking financially being able to continue what we do. We're currently delivering food to the entire city of Toledo, um, but we need help with volunteers and financial donations, and please pray that God would provide so we can continue to do that, continue to honor Him, and to overcome evil with good. Much more could be said. Just encourage you to check us out online on Facebook. Um, look at our Google website if you want, kind of review us and look at that there. Come join us Sundays at 11:30 if you want to worship in person or online at New Heights Toledo on Facebook. You can watch the services live. God bless you today. Next episode coming up.